0: That's right, and you're on Dirt Radio with Sam, and welcome Colin. Hello everyone, happy to be here. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing?
1: Very well, thank you.
0: We have a very special guest in the studio today, Declaration, dear activist buddy and mate of mine, I'd like to welcome comedian, activist, sculptor Sean Bedlam, welcome to the show.
2: Hi guys, <laughs> how are we?
0: We're good. So, let's uh, kick off the show by letting people know that Sean Bedlam has a show this year in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival called Two Bearded Ladies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Sean, we want to talk today about quite a few things that intersect comedy and activism. I want to just start off by asking you, how did you get involved in both?
2: Uh, well, well, for me, they're both connected. Uh, w- uh, they're obviously not connected for all stand-up comics. Uh, the only job you really have to do is get on stage and make people laugh. Mm-hmm. But what attracted me to stand-up comedy was, A, the idea that I would be able to do it. And, B, I would be able to talk about things I was fascinated and obsessed with, uh, you know, the state of the world, you know, generally, the world's problems. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't thinking of the word activism at the time because... I wasn't aware of that as a so much of a concept really it was a bit vague to me at the time but um, yes I uh, well before I did uh, stand up comedy too I spent several years making YouTube ranting videos Mm. basically and they were meant to be funny some of them were (laughs) 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 and then after a while I got sick of that because the internet can be a bit of a black hole of negativity and I realised I wanted to go into stand up comedy and do this on a stage with an audience, where you're accountable to people, uh, where it's not just a one-way or a one-way conversation or a weird conversation, you're actually in a room with people talking about real things, yep. and uh, ideally, you are getting away with it.
0: So, do you, you know, I, I, I've seen one of your shows, and at that show, you you definitely refer to some of our. Shared activist experiences At the US consulate yeah. um, Do you use activism As material for comedy Or you know I've been with you At activist um, actions You know that are quite serious That involve riot police And all sorts of stuff uh, Where you turn it into a, Quite a comical situation <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which is always great Because I think You know you have to be able to laugh When you're in those situations uh, What, Which one feeds which the most Do you think Because it seems to be that Um, you know there's not a lot of political comedy in in Australia and I'm just wondering is that uh, something that gives you a a pool of material
2: Uh, well yeah there's not lots and lots of political comedy Uh, yeah there's some Uh, in terms of to be honest I don't know what's real anymore Um, (laughs) I do stand up comedy which is very hard and weird thing to do Uh, and I do activism which is a very weird and hard thing to do Um, and they're connected in mind, my mind in some way. But I think what I do in some ways is sort of new and I'm not saying it's necessarily original, but it's a mixture of different things, including the social media aspect because I make videos and I make entertaining and sometimes funny videos of sometimes direct actions where mm. there's actual violence occurring. You mm. know, like we've made videos where... We are being to all intents and purposes sort of attacked a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've made funny videos of us being assaulted, you know, yeah. which is odd yeah <laughs> um uh what, what what the thing about doing the the the, the stand up comedy and the activism with a lot of it um it's really important to probably not think about it too much or t- try to this might sound a bit odd because it's odd, try and understand it too much. Mm. I just know that it works, I know that direct action works and I know that talking about it in a funny way works and I know that getting up in front of uh, audiences and making them laugh about serious and scary and confusing issues works. I don't necessarily know why any of it works. Mm. I just know it does. And I do know that as soon as I start to try and describe any of it, it sounds so weird to me. I want to stop immediately. (laughs) Uh, because it doesn't sound like anything I've heard of before necessarily, you know. Yeah, yeah. Com- yeah, comedian, activist, sculptor, stand-up guy. Um, you know, what's that?
0: It, well, you know, to me it seems like a perfect combination, particularly having creative people uh, that think outside the normal sort of boundaries involved in activism, I actually think is an essential part. Um, of our struggle and our movement Mm. now let's talk about you know you went down to occupy when it happened here in melbourne yes and my understanding is that you went down there to make some videos yeah uh and yet you know there's a shitload of footage of you on the front line the day the eviction you Mm. know locked on and i know your experience that day was pretty um profound in in you you were kind of effectively kidnapped with some others by some police and dumped down, yeah. down near Altona. Yeah. You know, very, very serious kind cool. of stuff that yeah. the police have never been held accountable for. No. Um, What what happened at Occupy that triggered you? You know, because that's kind of when we met, and then we mm. we went off on a tangent, engaging in the issues that really concern us. What was it about that experience that activated you back in in into taking frontline action?
2: Well, I uh, was already I was starting to do stand up comedy at that point. I'd probably been going for about eighteen months or something like that, and Occupy was starting to gear up. I didn't know that much about it. Um, because i was so wrapped up in doing stand-up comedy it's very it's, yeah, it's a full-on experience but there was something another comedian said to me that uh he didn't understand what occupy melbourne was going to be about uh and one of the things he said was like what's their point i can't tell what their point is and i thought well there's tons and tons of points so mm. and that made me want to go down there and interview people yeah you know, uh, which is what i do i'll talk to you know i, I just use my phone yeah. you know And I I thought, I wanted to go down and ask people why they were there, and I would put out a series of videos that answered that question. Yeah. You know? And um, I ended up only making a couple of uh, videos. I I got caught up in the space itself, like, for instance, trying to set up some sort of a media center. Yeah. And... Uh, trying to uh, set up uh, webcams to live stream what was happening in the kitchen because the kitchen was very exciting. That was, uh, and I thought it'd be absolutely o- uh, incredible to wire that up with webcams yeah. and live stream that around the world so people could see what was happening. Because when you were standing there looking at the kitchen, it was incredible. Yeah, people were coming in from around from the city, mm. walking through, and they were leaving huge amounts of money there, donating. The, the support for the place was astonishing so i thought yeah let's make some propaganda yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> Great idea. um and that, that that came i mean that was a pretty natural progression from wanting to interview people to realizing that there were people who wanted to put themselves to work doing stuff and mm. so did i um and then um yeah by the the was it the fifth or sixth day uh, you know we'll, we, we wake up and the place has got a, a fence around it and and it's caged, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, and I, I in my, w- in, in a way, I just thought I sort of knew what to do. and Like, you know, it's, oh, well, we are going to be dragged out of here, and that's what's happening. So, okay, yeah. Um, so I, um, big. Bec- I don't know if I became sort of you know radicalized or whatever, but um, certainly uh, I got really involved in activism pretty much that week. Yeah, you know, from, just from wanting to tell the story of what was happening.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, and I think
0: that happened to a lot of people. But uh, yeah. did you
2: get kidnapped by the police because you were putting webcam in kitchen? No, 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 no. no. Just because uh, I was a huge pain in the bum, <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
1: <laughs>
2: I uh, was arrested. Uh, I, I, I tried to drag someone away who was being dragged away by the police. You know, and um, they, they they got me.
0: As they do So, you know, you were also present Just going back in history a little bit I, I know you've uh, told me this story personally That you were at S11 That happened here in Melbourne Against the World Economic Forum Yeah,
2: yeah, well that 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 I wasn't an, an activist I wasn't connected to anyone or anything I just knew that it was coming up So I simply went along mm. And um, was there for three days um, I stupidly I went to a meeting a couple of weeks beforehand just to, to find out what was happening and they asked for marshals and I stupidly put my hand up for that job, which was crazy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, and I saw some you know, in pretty incredible things, you know, over just those three days. Yeah. Um, and then I went away after that because I was comp- probably um, pretty shocked because it was so violent, mm. the... Mm. the, the, the well, what happened to the protesters it was
0: yeah when you say violent state violence against state violence yeah all, yeah,
2: all of it yeah i didn't see any coming the other way i, yeah. s- I definitely saw citizens covered in blood um uh, yeah know, dumped at my feet that was yeah it was, uh, so I, I went away after that and um uh spent a lot of time uh I, with a, a brand new internet connection and um Started to try and learn what was going on around the world and why it was okay for police to beat the crap out of people. Yeah, yeah, you know, and why, why that why, the normal or mainstream community seemed to be completely okay with that, mm. you know. And so, spent a, a, a lot of time, yeah, you know, reading over the next few years trying to work, yeah. You know, get my intellectual sort of ducks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: I think it's really interesting. I mean, when I saw you do your show, you were talking about a situation at the US consulate where we were both there together. uh, And I... um, you know was having to watch the police stick their their knees on your head and your back and um, even in that moment i I remember you looked up at one point and said hi to someone (laughs) like like we were sitting around drinking coffee which kind of made everyone giggle and i'm just wondering do you think you know humor enables people to sort of be disarmed I guess in a similar way to watching a movie, you know, you sort of suspend y- your belief systems to engage in the narrative that you're being told. When you're doing uh, stand-up comedy, particularly about these experiences that are, you know, incredibly serious issues of of state violence against people standing up for their rights, etc., do you think that humour disarms your audience in a way that they're able to intake that information, or do- does it? somehow trivialize that experience because I I know for me I find myself laughing at your jokes but at the same time I was kind of going oh that was so full-on um, you know and I, I'm wondering do you think that humor is something that enables people to kind of put down their normal concepts around respecting authority and things like that so they can actually hear what's happening
2: uh, well the thing is when people are traumatized or being traumatized they dissociate from what's going on around them mm. and everything becomes kind of abstract and yeah, there's an air of unreality or surreality anyway.
1: Mm.
2: Um, and comedy is a way to almost induce that state on purpose but you're in charge of it this time. It's not happening to you. You're deciding that you're going to have distance from what's happening mm. so that then you can have some wisdom yeah. about what's happening instead of just being uh, in a state of shock Yeah. where you can't. You know, you're like a rabbit in the headlights you know yeah. Um, so yeah I think comedy is great to be able to talk about very heavy things mm. um, uh, in a way that um, people ha- have a sense of power still while they're listening to it yeah. instead of a sense of being just blown away
0: yeah, yeah, it's like people are more open to it. They can hear you telling a story about that in a, 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 a sort of uh, funny way. But if you went up to a group of people and said, "I want to tell you what happened to us the other day," I mean, they'd just be like, "Don't want to hear. I don't want to know about it."
2: Oh yeah, I can't talk about activism in a st- like. Even this is really hard. <laughs> Talking about it seriously and is um, and and Alex specific incidents, yeah. I find almost impossible to do without getting. Uh, you're too emotional to be able to talk properly yeah, yeah. you know because this is just, yeah the classic example is yeah now climate change as a human race we're largely dissociated from the reality of it because it's too much to take in yes mm. you know mm. and with this show that me and David Tolker do on the TV to ladies show we, 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 we both take have a go at doing stand-up comedy right he does stand-up I do stand-up that's the show really mm. um and the 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 main connecting thing is that both of us as men in our 40s are actually really confused about what's going on in the world but we know we're confused and that's okay so we want to talk about it and face up to it and Mm. it's all right. like it's Mm. okay to be confused you don't have to have all of the answers Mm. you know on your own you don't have to take it all on your own shoulders Um, it's okay to admit that it's it's almost too much to think about you know what's going on in the world not just climate change but a lot of different interconnected
1: yes. yeah and that's a good, really good point because like most of um, your your listeners and uh, the, the people who you do, you're doing the show for they might don't have like all the experience you mm-hmm. do have mm-hmm. i mean like how do you how you interact with them without uh having making them feeling like they can't understand you
2: do you know what, what i mean yeah oh well, there's a thing um you've just got to talk to people on a level you know, you can't put yourself above the audience while you're explaining things so we go to, uh, both David and I go to great pains in our storytelling to present ourselves as basically idiots (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that people will listen to our garbage Um, and then in in that, actually hear the wisdom as well in what we're saying, you know Um, and what we we, uh, decided that the Theme for the show would be solving all the world's problems. Okay. You know?
0: Oh, thank God, someone's going to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, <you> know, <laughs> um,
2: well, in my in my mind, you know, direct action and uh, yeah, grassroots uh, direct action solves all the world's problems. People simply, you know, getting out there and having a go mm, mm. Uh, c- can change everything.
0: It can. Know? We're going to take a quick break and come back, and then I want to talk about a video that you made. Um, about a group of us that went into parliament and uh-huh. uh, the power of social media to yeah. spread messages and apply pressure to politics. We'll be back shortly.
1: This is David Rovix and you are tuned to 3CR 8.55am Melbourne, Australia. Step 3 is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock, and you're listening to... Fill in the dots, you know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, fill in the... and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell.
0: That's right, you're on uh, Dirt Radio 3CR, a show presented by Friends of the Earth campaigners and activists, you're with Sam and Colin and we have comedian activist Sean Bedlam in the studio talking about his upcoming show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Two Bearded Ladies Jump on Facebook, Google it, buy some tickets, go along, it starts on Thursday doesn't it?
2: This Thursday, yes. This Thursday. Hey,
0: okay, so, you know, um, there was this thing that went on in the Victorian Parliament that we were both involved in. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, you and I were the most uh, assaulted by our friends in blue on, on being dragged out of there. Uh, what and, and it was about the move-on laws, uh, that the anti-protest laws that were introduced last year. And, of course, uh, the new Labor government has just repealed them. Yeah, uh, they went through the Senate, twenty-one to seventeen. Woohoo to yeah. all of us it's that showed victim. up. Um, great work. But what I want to talk about is, um, you know, Sean, when we were talking about going in and uh, doing that action, there was a lot of people that were suggesting that it was a waste of time, mm. um, that witnessing this was not. Um, going to change anything. Anyway, so as our listeners may know, we went in, we applauded a speech uh, that was uh, against the protest laws by a, a ALP member. Uh, we were then asked to leave the public gallery. We, mm. we refused. Uh, they brought in more cops than I think anyone has ever seen in Parliament yeah. <laughs> in its entire history mm. and ended up... Um, uh, we were peacefully uh, resisting And they ended up Of course dragging us out And injuring us Now out of that You made uh, a video mm. And there was also Somebody else Apparently another journalist Who shot a bit of footage From upstairs um, yes. That um, That went out on YouTube But the footage that that we took in the video that we made went around the world. The mm. whole incident went viral. Uh, we woke up to headlines, you know, in, mm. in American papers in Al Jazeera saying, you know, Australia's draconian anti-protest laws, the UN pricked up its ears, you know, all sorts of stuff went on yeah. that enabled then the unions and other community groups to apply a huge yeah. amount of pressure to the Labor government in the yeah. upcoming election.
2: It's incredible power, isn't it? Uh, it's ama- you, it's amazing. it's a bunch of people it's amazing. with some phones yep. can uh, create the situation where a story that's being overlooked becomes global, yeah, and then that and all that attention comes straight back to the source right here in Victoria, yes, and exerts a hell of a lot of influence,
0: yeah. Which which is what I wanted to talk about because that's the extraordinary thing that we've discovered in the direct actions that we've done Mm. is you know you think you're just this tiny group of people Mm. that that is maybe impacting people in your immediate community, yeah, uh, and yet. That one video switched on the world to understanding that actually the Australian government was acting in a fascist manner. Uh, the Victorian government, although let's be honest, someone is directing it because it's sweeping through all the states from yeah. Queensland to uh, Tasmania, and and now WA want to ban locks. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. go ban a thing. You know, like they don't think we're smart enough to make up something else to use as a lock. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's quite extraordinary. They can ban whatever they want, we'll just keep inventing new ways to do it Uh, but what would you say to the WA um, mates that we have over there that are now facing a very similar law being introduced crazy like $12,000 fine a Mm. year in jail if you're caught with possession of an item that could be used as a lock Mm. Um, you know so I I wanted to talk about the social media component and how uh, effectively that was used and, and what do you think these guys in WA should do.
2: Well, if I was over there and had a, you know, a bunch of uh, mates I trusted, I'd probably test the laws. Mm. I I would test the laws uh, and I would make sure that that was done with, you know, cameras rolling and that we could get out a video about the event very quickly. Mm. Um, uh, And it wouldn't have to be particularly complicated, Mm. you know. You would just make sure you got arrested somewhere reasonably uh, reasonably, uh, spectacular you know but it doesn't it, it doesn't have to you know be a hollywood production or anything mm, mm. it's as we've discovered it's a lot of this stuff is a matter of just walking into a place where people people, people normally don't just out of good manners mm. yeah. and refuse to leave um, and in this case make sure that you've locked yourself to a bunch of stuff mm. maybe you would have a comical a man of locks, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> you maybe you'd be wearing a suit just made of handcuffs, you know, <laughs> this kind of thing, you know. Thumb cuffs. Yeah, yeah, you know. A
0: thumb cuff dress.
2: Yeah, you know. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, you, but, but this is yeah. You you do a bit of research and work out exactly what's illegal, exactly where it is illegal, and make sure you go and break that law mm. with cameras rolling, mm. um, and do it in a disciplined enough way so that. Um, it's not you that look stupid when the police come in, mm. you know, probably heavy-handed, yep. and show, and they show up the ridiculousness of, of the law. You know, yeah. th- there's no guarantee that that will work, but that's what I would do. Yeah, you know,
0: and and also to utilize the social media media network. And you know, this is I don't know if this is a generational thing or it's just a sort of ideological thing, but mm. you know, you see all these old school politicians that use Twitter and Facebook like it's a press release. Yeah. Mm. Uh, whereas actually, for those of us that have been living in those communities, we know they're real people and they're connected mm. to us around the world and they care when shit happens to mm. us. Mm. And that seems to me to be the underestimation um, by the political class around how powerful you know small groups of people can be yeah. when they have community yeah. voice behind well, them. Well, that's
2: the other thing about this kind of um, work. Even if it doesn't necessarily work on the specific uh, yeah, target... You you might not hit that target, but what you will hit is you will send out the message around the world that people are resisting, Mm. and that's in itself is incredibly—it's absolutely vital Mm. that people can see each other doing stuff around the world. Mm. Um, You know, actions speak louder than words. You know, and um, people really take that to heart when they see. Mm. um, I mean, I'm not going to say. Looking at a bunch of burning police cars in um, Canada inspired me or anything like that, (laughs) Um, because that would be a terrible thing to say. Terrible. You know, I'm just not like that.
0: (laughs) So I I wanted to just touch on one final thing while you're here. Um, You played, in my opinion, a very significant role because of your ability to use social media and comedy in getting out the word about the tunnel picket and the resistance that took place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you made a load of videos about that and actually moved into a a point in time as it was getting really, really full on Mm. where you were doing a video... A day, and mm. it was like this daily digest and documentation mm. of the resistance of a whole heap of pensioners and people that were going to lose their homes. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it it really not only did it draw the mainstream media in, but it really drew in the hearts and minds of the community. Mm. Uh, and again, demonstrated to me the importance of actually recording stuff and not being afraid to put it out, as mm. opposed to, as you know, Rod Quantock just said in that um, little promo, um, mm. relying on mainstream media, which was. Mm. Really has nothing to say about community. It's all about no. corporate power. Um, so I'm curious to know, you know, what, how, how do, you, how did you feel about doing that? I mean, it must have been just a, a tremendous amount of work to be getting up at the crack of dawn and, and going mm. every day and doing that. Do you feel vindicated by? what's taken place since then that that work was worthwhile because sometimes it's relentless and unrewarding work. Yeah, no,
2: well, it's this is the one example I actually do specifically mention in the show because it's a win and I want to, you know, mention to an audience that might not know about this sort of stuff that you can win Mm. and there are wins and that was a a huge, huge win. Yeah. Um. Yeah, not not just the tunnel picker, but also the move-on laws that they tried, you know. Yeah, Mm. two wins. Yeah, yeah, and all it is is just people sort of almost just, well, the stuff we do is kind of stupid in a way because it's so simple. Yeah. Like we don't get really, try to be too clever about it. Yeah. You know, and I think we do try to not be too clever about things, you know, because why bother Yeah. when all you really need to do is turn up and stand in the way.
1: Yes. And the
2: Tunnel Picker was the classic example. You just turn up, you stand in the way, and uh, and I'm videoing that, getting a video out on the day, I'm, mm. I'm on Twitter, putting, sending out photos one after another with a timestamp, mm. you know, mm. and the feedback I got from in, like in the neighbourhood and the community, you know, was that people were super encouraged by this because the people who couldn't be at the picket every day mm. or even ever could watch from work. Yes, you know, that would be. They'd be keeping track of the picket while they're at work and apparently that was a joyous experience for people. Oh, fully. It was certainly
0: certainly something that I I, utilised. I couldn't be down there due to kids and family quite often and... Um, it was always good to be able to jump on your Twitter feed and, and see mm. what had happened that morning and sometimes it'd be, you know, something funny and sometimes you'd just be like, oh my God, I can't believe what they're doing to these people. Thank God someone's documenting it. Mm-hmm. Where, where yeah. could we see the, all these videos? Do you have a... There's a Tumblr
2: t- account. I set up a Tumblr page where I gathered together every one of the t- uh, the Tunnel Picket videos. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it would just be hashtag Tunnel Picket uh, right. And you'd, you'd find it on, uh, on um, yeah, on Tumblr. Okay. Um, and yeah, then they're just gathered chronologically. You can follow the whole thing if you want to g- grind through that one night over a few beers it'd be like a movie (laughs) and
0: and for those that haven't looked at Sean Bedlam's video uh, collection over the years please go to his YouTube account Sean Bedlam Uh, you made a great series from our um, Canberra Peace Convergence as well Mm. little 30 second videos Mm. of breaking the world record for most protests in one day Um, it's Mm. like uh, honestly I I really think you know we need to sit down and have a beer and talk about how we make sure that this stuff doesn't get lost in in the madness of the internet that There is a space Mm. that holds all of this activist history that you've created because um, without it, many of these um, actions and resistance uh, by the community would be lost in time Mm. with no documentation. So Mm. I think that's a really extraordinary contribution to uh, Melbourne activism Mm. um, that down the track, people are going to want to reflect on, well, how did they stop that? How did that get reversed? Oh, go here and look at all of these videos. Mm. Uh, So, Sean Bedlam, we're done for of the day tell us where can we come see two bearded ladies during this year's Melbourne International comedy Festival.
2: Yeah what's well, uh, 50 minutes of stand-up comedy uh, myself and my friend David Tulk. Uh, I'm an activist he's definitely not an activist <laughs> um, It's at t- uh, Red Vi- thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne
1: Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.
2: Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's got the red violin, the red violin in the CBD, 14 McKillop Street in the CBD, just near uh, Elizabeth Street. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's very easily findable on the... Melbourne International Comedy Festival website.
0: Or you can uh, just have a look-see at Sean Bedlam's uh, Facebook page or the Two Bearded Ladies page and find a link to go get your tickets online. I suggest people book really soon because they're selling out fast.
2: Oh, and it's funny. It's, it's, pro- it's actually funny. It's, it's hilarious. Moment. It's jokes. <laughs> it's,
0: it's hilarious. Uh, looking forward to seeing you up on the stage, Bedlam, and thank you for coming in this morning.